0: I really enjoy traveling. Any, any of you with me enjoy traveling, I, but I enjoy only one specific part of traveling, and maybe you can relate. I enjoy the getting there, not so much the going there. Is that is that track at all? Like my favorite words are, "You have arrived at your destination." Not, "Oh, there's traffic on ninety-five, and we're gonna have to sit for a few hours." Like that—that that is not my favorite part at all. That's when it seems like it really begins for me. You know, you have arrived at your destination. Finally, I'm where I want to be. I don't have to focus anymore on the obstacles, you know, of, of, that kept me from getting there. And I guess most of the time when I'm thinking about that, you know, I'm thinking of, like, traveling to vacation. You know, okay, finally, I'm arrived at my destination. This is where I've wanted to be, like, for the whole year. And so finally, I've gotten to this, this spot. And I, I've been that like, like that for a long time. Renee can attest to that. Uh, and, and maybe it's, it really started for me in college. I really just like getting to where I'm going to go. And so for me in college, we went to a small Christian school and I was involved in sports, coaching and playing. And we, because we're a small Christian university, we would have to drive pretty far to get to an away opponent. Okay. So a five and a half hour trip was like minimum for what we would have to do. And so as a, as a player and a coach, I was one of the people who drove, drove the van and I just wanted to get there. And especially, the, the, probably the worst offender for this was probably the women's volleyball team. And I, I was, my wife is already starting to smile and laugh because she knows exactly where I'm headed, headed with this, even though I didn't share with, with her what it was like. But it was inevitable that we would get on the road, and I'm like, hey, five and a half hours, we're there. Like, we're, we're not stopping. I'm Mr. Not Stopping. I don't Anybody with me? We, there, there's no reason to stop. you got plenty of gas in the tank. You don't need to stop. Forty-five minutes into the trip, <clears throat> hey, can we stop? I need to use the bathroom." Inev- I mean, every, every time, no matter what. Well, towards the end of the season, it would stop happening because, you know, as the coach, there are some privileges and, you know, things that, I'm just kidding, I would stop. And, and so we would stop, and the worst offenders would be out, they'd go in, they'd go in, use the bathroom, their group, and they would come out with big old drinks on the way out. And so I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, you know, there's the same people that would, you know, pack three bags, you know, for, for an away game that were coming back the same, same day on. And, and, and I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, what in the world are you doing? And so you know what happens like an hour later. Hey, when are we stopping next? And I'm Mr. I'm not stopping. So I'm like, I'm, I wouldn't plan on stopping. I mean, I, you know, what, what are you doing here? And so there's some people who were not, not allowed to you know, have drinks ever again when they went to the gas station when they, when they came out. Now, over the years, I've had to mellow on that. When I mean, we lived out in the Midwest and I would travel by myself to come home, I would only stop one time for a nine hour trip. And that one time was only because my car needed gas. That was it. That was the only only stop that I would make. Only because I had to, because I wouldn't be able to get there. Now, you know, you're driving that nine hour trip and you got a pregnant wife, or you got potty training kids things start to change, and so you have to, you know, you have to mellow on it just, just a little bit. You have to start getting over it, and, I, and I'm getting there. I'm, I'm, almost, I'm almost over it. But what I've discovered even, even more than that is that the older I've gotten, the more I appreciate, you know, when someone else needs to stop. Because depending on how long the trip is, the more my knees start to stiffen up, my legs, you know, my lower back starts getting to me. And so when, you know, when someone else in the family needs to stop, I, I've learned to appreciate that just, just a little bit. It's also led to things like, you know, going down the beach or something, something like that, stopping and connecting with a friend you know, who lives on the way when before, I'd be like, no, forget them. You know, I'll see them some other time. You know, I'll see them on Facebook or something like that. We'll grab coffee or lunch or maybe stop at a scenic overlook. And those have been pretty important moments for how I feel when I finally do arrive. Because rather than just kind of rushing through or being disturbed by the amount of traffic that, that's there, whatever obstacles there are along the way, I've been participating in moments that are more important. So I've taken time out during the journey to spend with some other people, building relationships. And while it's taking time, I'm really glad I'm learning that lesson. Because we can get so focused on where we're headed that we miss out on what needs our attention along the way. And as we're wrapping up our series on heaven this morning, I can't help but think that as we've talked about the new heaven and the new earth that Jesus makes possible through the resurrection, and as we've talked about what heaven is like, my natural tendency is to lean toward, man, I'm just ready to be there rather than have to deal with all the obstacles here. I don't know if I'd get an amen on that if we were kind of in the mood to say amen or not. You know, I'm not, not sure where you are in thinking about that. Don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to rush. I, you know, I'm not, not like you know, living life in such a way to, to get there sooner than, than later. I don't want to leave my wife and kids behind too soon, although followers of Jesus, we don't leave anybody behind. We just get together a little bit later on. It would be cool to be around for maybe some grandchildren. I don't know. My daughter just like, I'm not looking at my dad. I can't believe he just said that. But since that's my ultimate destination, because heaven is is where I'm headed, I'm I'm ready to hear you have arrived at your destination. John writes at the end of Revelation, Revelation 22, verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I'm coming soon. And John writes, amen, so be it. Come, Lord Jesus. And that's how I feel. I mean, come, Lord Jesus. I'm looking forward to that day. And I know many Christians are. Many Christians live in the hope of that and, and waiting and, and knowing, hey, you know, we have been saved, we're, we are headed to heaven. But it would be a mistake to know that heaven awaits us and that Jesus has prepared a place and a way for us there and think that Jesus just kind of saved us to hang out and wait in the meantime. Oh, we're good, we've got our ticket punched and so we can just kind of chill as we wait, make our lives as comfortable as possible while we're hanging around. And there's, there's this underlying mistaken identity, idea within many Christians that the reason Jesus saves us from the consequences of sin is primarily about being able to go to heaven when we die. And that's not it. While it's certainly a result of salvation, it's not the only reason. Think about it this way. When we say yes to following Jesus, we're baptized, the Bible says, for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit. And eternal life is a part of that covenant, for sure, absolutely. But when we come out of the water after being immersed, we aren't immediately transported and whisked, whisked away to the afterlife. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that? You ever seen a baptism before? Somebody comes out of the water and then they're gone. Like, do you think, do you think that would be a good incentive to be baptized? Like, what, are, what, are, what would be going through your mind in that point if you're watching that happen? First of all, like, what, what does that say about the baptizer? You know, the, the person who's doing the baptizer. Why are you still here? Like, what is, what's going on with you? Um, hey, where'd they go? Well, why don't you get baptized and find out? You know, come on, everybody. Let's, let's go. This will be great. No, no, thank you. And why are you still here? <laughs> Baptizing people. Yeah, I guess it didn't take for me. You know, what's, what's going on there? It just wouldn't work. Instead... We are raised out of the water to a new creation life now with a glimpse of what heaven will be like then to be instructive for how we live life today. In fact, Jesus says that he comes so that anyone who chooses to follow him might have full life. In John 10, verses 7 through 10, Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And this is not to say that once you become a follower of Jesus, once you say yes uh, to being a disciple of his, that the consequences of living in a sin broken world go away life will not be perfect and some of you can amen to that like you know i've got a testimony to to that the life will not be perfect we have an enemy who does not want us to be focused on the goodness of god and so that is something that we are going to have to deal with still in this life so what does that mean for us taking into account the world and the context that we live in what does it mean for us to live life to the full in light of heaven In light of of hell, for that, that matter. When we talk about the afterlife, we're talking about what happens after we die. See, God created us for eternity. And how we live life now has much to do with which eternity we're experiencing now and looking forward to then. While getting to our destination is important, how we get there determines how we arrived. And you, you've had this kind of stuff happen before. You've got a trip that you're looking forward, forward to. We had a vacation that we were looking forward to, and something happened like the day that we were leaving. Uh, I had, a, had an interaction that wasn't that, that great with someone. And for, th- for the first three days of this vacation that I've been looking forward to all year, I, I couldn't enjoy it. I was miserable. And you know what that's like, you don't plan well, you don't pack well, you know, your family's all in disarray, or you get that call from your boss right before or in the middle of vacation, and it can make you miserable about it, even though you're in the greatest place of the world. in the world. And what we do with our lives now in light of life after death, you know, in our earthly lives now, they should be modeled after the heavenly lives we anticipate then. Because the alternative to our lives not looking heaven-like, you know, on, or doing God's will on earth as it is in heaven, is that our, our lives start looking like hell. And we haven't talked too, too much about hell, for sure, because that's not what this sermon series is about. But it is certainly something Jesus and Scripture are concerned about when talking about life after death. Sin causes our natural way of living life inclined to be toward hell. And we are dealing with the problems of hell now because hell is separation from God. And we've all lived our lives separate from him. And the patterns of life that humanity leads are what causes all the forms of misery and suffering and divisiveness that all of us could point to, that we've experienced in our own lives, that we see happening in the lives of other people. And so the solution to that misery is living the life of heaven now. God gives a sharp contrast between the two in our anchor text for the series in Revelation 21. Uh, Jesus said to John it is done I'm the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end to the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life those who are victorious will inherit all this I will be their God and they will be my children but the cowardly the unbelieving the vile the murderers the sexually immoral those who practice magic arts the idolaters and all liars they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur this is the second death And those are the two major extremes when it talks about life after after death, the experience of eternity, life on one hand and death on the other. And I know people, I, I know it's a struggle, even for me sometimes, to conceptualize that God, who is capable of and promises so much goodness and perfectness, completeness for our lives, could send people to hell. But the truth of the matter is that God doesn't send people to hell. God sends Jesus. God sends Jesus to save humanity because we have the overwhelming propensity to choose hell for ourselves. With every sin that we participate in, we dehumanize ourselves. We become less like the very good thing that God created in the beginning to the point of lacking recognition. And so, throughout human history, we can point to people who have somehow become overwhelmed by such great evil and become capable of such great evil. However, we were created with the capacity to participate in the greatest goodness of existence. Jesus says in verse 6 and 7 of Revelation 21 To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. And when we, con- when we fully grasp the reason for our continued life as disciples of Jesus. Our sense of urgency shifts from the destination and where we're gonna be then to the needs and the lives of the people we live with along the way. With our thirst for new life quenched and the mindset of victory over evil, our identity has shifted from a broken human to a child of God. As followers of Jesus, disciples of his, that's, that's who we are, that's our identity now, victorious children of God. And this anticipation of the hope of heaven frees us from the need to get bogged down in the concerns of this life, the concerns of the world, in favor of the eternal good news of new life that begins here and now through Jesus. Our salvation is for the there and then, absolutely for heaven, but it's also for the here and now. It's both about the spiritual and the physical. If it's just about the spiritual, then sure, let's just get our ticket punched and just hang around, get together once a week and celebrate. It's like, hey, we're, we're going to heaven at some point in the future. So we hear you have arrived at your destination, but it's about more about, more than that. It's also about the redemption and resurrection of the world and people around us. In Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse, verse 10, Paul writes this, I want to know Christ." Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus." All of us, then, who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have had us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame." Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So Paul says, take our example, look at our lives as a model of what we do because we look at Jesus for a model of how we live our lives because we aren't immediately taken away from this life and whisked off to heaven just like that because God has a purpose for us. He has a plan for us and we are a part of his redemption plan for the world. Paul, what is he concerned about when he says live as we do? He's concerned about spreading the gospel by preaching it and living it, sustained by his desire to know Jesus and to be more and more like him each day. And so why are we still here on this earth as we anticipate, as we live in light of the knowledge of heaven? We're all missionaries. And not simply to save people from hell then, but to show them heaven on earth now through our words and through our deeds and by living in such a way as God has called us to, through our worldview and how we care about the world, how we care about the people in it, our environment around us, the restoration and redemption that we pursue for what is wrong to be made right. As citizens of heaven, all of of us who are followers of Jesus are citizens of heaven. We are part of God's plan for redemption for those whose destiny is destruction, which, by the way, was all of us before Jesus came into our life and transformed us. And God calls us to be participants in the new heaven and the new earth, not consumers of it. And that call begins now. Not to sit around and wait for the reunion, but welcome more people into the family as we strive to live and think and talk more like Jesus as children of God every day. We have been empowered to participate in changing the eternal trajectory of our lives and the lives of the people around us. May we not be so focused on arriving at the destination to miss the lives of people in the world that need our God-directed attention along the way. I can't wait to be in heaven. I can't wait to be in heaven with you. I can't wait to be in heaven with those who have gone on before us and will come after us. But this life and the life to come are sweetest when we live them out as they will be then and invite others into that life with us along the way. Let's pray together. God, as we, as we know that eternity in your presence awaits us, God, help us to see how you have empowered us through your Holy Spirit to be a part of your redemption and resurrection plan for the world and the people in it. God, help us to, to see the opportunities that you place in our lives along the way. As we remove the distractions of, of earthly concerns, and, and the tendencies of sin in our life, as we put those more and more aside, we free ourselves up to be more and more a part of who you've called us to be, who you've prepared us to be through Jesus. And that's sharing the good news for the brand new heaven and the brand new earth that, that we all can look forward to. God, we ask you to, to show us where these opportunities are in our life, because they're happening, they're happening around us every day. God help us to help us to see how we how we ought to live in light in light of heaven and anticipating the hope that you've given us through Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.